Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 11. I want to read a text uh, from, uh, from the book of Acts, uh, page 916 in a pew Bible. If you didn't bring one, uh, page 916 will get you right where you need to be. And um, if you're not familiar or not with how to navigate the Bible, when you get to that page, uh, you'll see two columns on the page. The left column, about a third of the way down, you'll see a little a kind of header to a new paragraph, and it says, the church in Antioch of Syria. And right below that is little number 19. That's the verse number. So Acts 11, verse 19, I want to read this passage uh, for us about the church of Antioch. And by the way, some of you may notice we have some new pew Bibles. Um, we, we, we had to replace the other ones, and we looked high and low for, uh, for large print, uh, and uh, we couldn't find any. So we got this. So I've been up- upgrading my, my readers from 1.5 to like 2. Uh, we'll see if that works. So I apologize for the small print, but if I can do it, you can do it. Let's go. Uh, Acts 11, verse 19. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now, let's go over to chapter 13. If you're using the Pew Bible, just on the other side of that that page right there, page 917, you see the big number 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, talking about the same church. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. 
He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. And instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around and begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. I would have too, probably you as well. <laughs> for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is God's holy word. You ever been to a restaurant that provides you a menu, not just any kind of menu, a large menu, maybe it's laminated, and on the menu, as you look at your food options, there are pictures of the food that you can order? You got these pictures on this menu, and, and so you're looking around, and you pick that one, or maybe you're at a restaurant, and uh, there's pictures underneath the glass on the table, little numbers, and you just find whatever number of the food you want, and you point to like number 17, or number 23, or uh, whatever it might be. Uh, or maybe you're at a fast food restaurant, and you're hungry, and you walk in, and there's these LCD screens, and there's a picture of a a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a bacon cheeseburger, or maybe it's tacos and burritos, or maybe it was a box of chicken, and, and it just looks so delicious and looks so good, and so you place your order, you pay your money, and you wait for your food, and your number's called, and the tray comes out, and you got your food, and you take it to your table, and you sit down, and you unwrap your food, and you look at it, and you look back up at the LCD screen, and you look at, or you look at your menu, and you go, this is not that. There is this gap between this picture that is before you and what you're looking at on your table. This is not that. And, uh, and maybe, you're, maybe you're just gonna go with it or maybe you send it back because you want it to match. There was a guy who used to be a pastor. His name is Matt Boda. Some of you know Matt Boda. Matt did that very thing in a, in a gracious and gentle way that only Matt could do. He actually said the words, this is not that, make it that, and sent it back. We're in this series called Why Church, and I think what I want to do today, we've, we've talked about some of the, the whys. What I want to get to today is the why behind the why. Why do we even ask the question, why church? And um, just to kind of get us caught up, this, we're, this is not about guilting anyone, any kind of behavior change. Guilt is not a great sustainer for life change. We don't have illusions about the church being perfect. We know that our church is not perfect or the church is not perfect. Yet at the same time, we're not holding back. We're gonna let the scriptures speak to us. We've talked about why church and some of the answers we've given is that Christianity is to be lived out in community. That's the context that our faith is expressed. That to the degree that we are engaged in the community will be the degree to which we actually experience God. Doesn't mean you can't experience God on your own, but it's heightened in community. We've talked about our souls being recalibrated and enlarged when we see God at work in others. And we've talked about the idea that actually when you gather around someone versus something, you're gathering on that someone, actually it, there's people around you, don't, they don't look like you. And you, you're, you gather around people that you wouldn't normally gather around. And C.S. Lewis, he, he captures this, uh, when, when he, he writes these words, uh, he says, I thought that I could do it on my own. 
by retiring to my room and reading theology, and I, I wouldn't go to the churches. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, and, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. Go to the next theory. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, no offense to hymn lovers, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. This is what gathering as a church can do for us actually do things that, that we, we can't accomplish on our own. And, and today what I want to do is, is, is not necessarily provide more answers about why it's important to gather. I think we've, I think we've got enough. What I want to do is get, get this idea of, so why do we even ask why? And here's what I want to do. I, I, think, I think we have a picture of the church and we read passages like Acts 11 and Acts 13, maybe Acts 2 where you have the first picture of the early church, and we see that picture, and our expectations in our hearts rise, and we say, yeah, I would love to be part of that. And, and then we lean into church, and, and we end up, as we experience, some of your church experiences are like this, where you, you sit down and you, and, and you go, this is not that. <laughs> that there appears to be a gap between this beautiful picture of who the church can be and your, your experience. And even as I, as I walk us through this, I want to remind us that these pictures in the book of Acts are, this is the highlight reels, okay? These are the high moments in the church. These churches, the church of Antioch or the church in Jerusalem, they were not perfect churches because people went there, right? Where there's light, there's bugs, some of you will get that in a moment. But people went there. We know the church is not perfect, but this is the highlight reel. We actually get a pretty fantastic picture of who we're called to be. And what I want to do is I want to help us see that picture, paint that picture. But then what I want to do is I just want to provide a few reasons why I believe that picture has been tainted. Why I believe that that, that picture has been distorted, maybe even photoshopped, adjusted, and then I want to talk to us about being restorers, about how we, as Christ's church, what's some practical steps that we could take to restore the church to what it's called to be, to who we're called to be. We are the church, the called out ones. So we're going to look at the picture. I want to provide some, some ways. I think maybe the, the, the picture has been distorted and give us some practical steps to be restorers in the church of Jesus Christ. So let's just dive right in. Here's the picture. You heard me read Acts 11, Acts 13 about the church in Antioch. This is a word church. This is a church in which there are teachers. There are people who are leaning in and, and hungry to know what God is saying. And they want to know God's heart. They want to align their behavior, their thoughts, and their attitudes with the mind and will of God. And so they're, they're, they're a word church. They're also a spirit church. There are prophets in this church. There's not only teachers, there's prophets. This is a spiritually discerning church, so much so that when, when, God, has, uh, when God has been talking to them and, and in revealing himself to them, that, that, that what ends up happening is that there's this move of the Spirit within them. There's this move of the Spirit within them, and they're not just a word church, or not just a spirit church, but they're a church of power. 
a church of power in a sense of that they are actually out there, they're evangelizing and the power of the Lord is on them as they're evangelizing and the Gentiles are turning to Christ. This is a significant hinge point in the story found in Acts because Luke is, what, what Luke is doing here, he's telling the story of how the church moves from Jerusalem to Rome and this is one of those hinge points in that story. It's a church of the word, it's a church of the spirit, it's a church of power and We see this when Barnabas and Saul, who will be Paul, who will write much of the New Testament, they go to Cyprus and they have this encounter with this sorcerer and Paul says, you know, you you wicked person, full of deceit and fraud and says God's judgment's gonna come on, you're gonna be blind and bam, he's blind. It's a church of power. It's a missionary church that plants missionary churches. This is a church that's not silent about Jesus. They're evangelizing. There's so many things going. This is a diverse church. They're reflecting their city. It's a wonderful picture of who the church is supposed to be. And yet, that picture has been distorted. And you already know the first point, because there it is. It's been there for a while. I I think one of the reasons why this has happened is because there's been an emphasis on learning about God propositionally versus personally. You've got this incredible picture of who the church is supposed to be, the word and spirit church, a power church, a missionary church, planting missionary churches, not silent about Jesus, diverse, reflecting their city, willing to leave everything behind, and yet I think that picture has been, has been distorted because we have been taught to learn about God propositionally versus personally. Here's what I mean by that. We have gathered facts and data about God but it has not translated into our personal friendship with God. And so what's happened is we've gathered the information and as we have done this over time, there's a part of us that atrophies and dies. We are taught how to pray. Here's the steps of how you can pray, but we're not praying. We've been taught what faith looks like and yet we're not taking these faith risks in life. We've been taught about God's holiness, yet it hasn't translated into walking into holiness. And when that happens, there's a part of us that atrophies, and it translates into our personal relationship with God. Now, I want to read you a quote. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but it drives the point home. Uh, Words will be on the screen behind me, and I think it just emphasizes what I'm trying to say. Up to the age of 30, poetry and many kinds of, of many kinds gave me great pleasure. Even as a schoolboy, I took intense delight of Shakespeare, especially in a historical sense. Even pictures have given me a considerable delight. Music has given me a very great delight. But now for many years, I cannot delight in reading a single line of poetry. I've tried to read Shakespeare, but have found it so intolerably dull that it nauseated me. I've also lost all taste for pictures and music. I've retained some taste for fine scenery, but it does not cause me the exquisite delight that it formerly did. My mind, it seems, has been some kind of machine for grinding out general laws from a large collection of facts. But why this should have caused the atrophy of that part of the brain alone on which the higher taste depends, I cannot conceive. Now, listen to this last sentence. This really captures it. 
The loss of these tastes is the loss of happiness and may possibly be injurious to the intellect and more possibly damaging to the moral character by enfeebling the emotional part of our nature. Here's what this this writer is saying. The writer is saying, I used to have an appreciation for the arts, for music, and it did something in me emotively. It, 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 It just felt personal. But what happened is I became this data collector. I became this information gatherer, and I ended up being this machine that just grinded out laws and facts and data, and part of me has died. Do you know who wrote that? Charles Darwin in his later years. Darwin recognized it was a part of him that had atrophied because he'd been so intensely collecting the information that he actually lost connection to the part of this world that, that would stir him. Friends, I'm just, let's talk about our spiritual lives. When we become data gatherers about God, information collectors about God, and, that, and it, that's the dead end. Please don't hear me say that, you, I, that I, we shouldn't learn about God. No, we're here to learn about God. We're in Bible studies to learn about small groups, to learn about God. You have your own times to learn about God. But that learning about God, learning about God propositionally is so that we can be informed and equipped to be able to relate to him personally. And I think the picture, I think the reason some people are asking why church who are going, this is not that, is because Christianity has been reduced to learning facts and data at the expense of learning how to enter into a personal relationship with Christ. Which, by the way, this is why we have Bible studies. So you can learn about God. It's also why we have a conference this weekend called Recognizing God's Voice. So that that personal relationship can be grown. So you can be equipped to hear God's voice. And as you do, the church is the better for it. Here's a second reason why I think that the picture's been distorted. There's fear and skepticism about Holy Spirit. We live in a culture that values rationalism, that, that, that values naturalism, and, uh, and before we take our steps, we want to have all our, 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 our questions answered. Yet in our walk with God, we don't get all of our question, questions answered. There are these points, we get a lot of our questions answered, but there are these points where we actually have to step out, kind of like Indiana Jones in that one movie, steps out and it appears nothingness. But it's that step of faith that actually gets us to where God wants us to go. But because of naturalism, uh, because of rationalism, and everything has to, every box has to be checked, and, and this idea that there is a God whose spirit is in us, and that we're supposed to relate to him, and that's sort of mystical, and this is not emphasized in our culture. In fact, we're taught to be very suspicious of anything like it. Yet our God is spirit. And, and we are going to be called to walk with this person who's called Holy Spirit and fear and skepticism have kept the church from fully embracing all he's called us to in this, in this friendship and in this relationship. Here's another thing I think that has tainted the picture. There's little power. I think many people in the church and outside the church are looking at the church and they're wondering, they may not put it in these words, but they're wondering, where are the power bearers? Where are the people upon whose God's power rests who could walk and say, blind? I'm not recommending you do that, but that's what happened in that story. (laughs) We're the power bearers. We're the ones who are so saturated with God's power and authority 
that people go, I believe. I think there's little power in church, but we have to remind ourselves, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Where are the power bearers? And when they're absent, I think people are going, why church? What's, what's, what's the deal with that? Here's another one. There's much silence about Jesus. I think in our day and age, volume levels have been cranked up about issues, and some of those issues are very, very important, and we need to have those conversations, and the church needs to lean into those conversations, but what I'm discovering is as volume levels are turned up on many different issues, the volume levels are turned down on the person of Jesus Christ, and he needs to be brought into this conversation. There's much silence about the person of Jesus. Here's one more thing, but the reason I think that the picture has been distorted, there are fewer willing to leave everything behind and go. There was this rich young ruler to whom Jesus gave the opportunity of a lifetime. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. Oh, can't let go. Too big of an ask. And many, like the rich young ruler, miss out on the opportunity. Can you imagine what he would have experienced as he continued to walk with Jesus? Now, there's a picture of the church. We, we just read about one, Acts, Acts 11, Acts 13, the church of Antioch. But that picture has been distorted to the extent that people, the why behind the why of why church is because this is not that. So what do we do? How, do we, how can we practically lean in and help restore the picture? Because this is really a call for each and every one of us. You, we are the church. This is something we do. So how can we be restorers? How can we reflect the manifold wisdom of Christ through the church as Paul writes in the book of Ephesians? I just wanna give some practical steps and the first one is simply this, is be a word and spirit Christian. Would you be someone who just knows God's word in and out? Would you be someone who is familiar with the language of scripture so that when someone cuts you, you just bleed God's word? Again, for some of us, that means leaning into a Bible study. For some of us, that means reading God's word or being in a mentoring relationship where someone can explain what God, what's God saying. It means being here because this is we, we teach from God's word. We believe that God wants us to align our lives, align our behavior, our thoughts, and our attitudes under the word of God. Be a person who bleeds scripture, who knows scripture. And be someone who is full of the spirit. I don't know if you noticed when I was reading Acts 11 and 13, how many times when people were described, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Saul, who would be named Paul, full of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are called to be people of the word and people of the spirit. Again, which is, which is why Bible studies are a great way to, 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 to learn about the word and, and recognizing God's voice. This, this, this weekend, that's it, all about learning how to discern, like the church of Antioch, discern the voice of the spirit, having ears to hear what the spirit is saying. But here's the... Here's, the, here's what's happening. Here's the reality. If you can tolerate another quote, let me just read this for us. Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God, says this. This is important. 
He writes, if I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. The degree to which this has happened, and I would argue that it is a prolific disease in the body of Christ, is directly connected to the dissatisfaction most of us feel with and in the church. We understand something very important is missing. The feeling is so strong that some have run away from the church and God's word completely. I believe that this missing something is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but notice and be different, and the world cannot help but notice what's happening in the church. Friends, be a word. Be someone who, when you cut them, they bleed scripture. Be someone who's full of the Holy Spirit. And I think that that will restore, that will bring restoration to the picture of who the church is so that people can look at the picture of the church and look at what their experience is and go, yeah, okay, that's, yeah. This is this. Here's the second thing I would say to us about restoring the picture. Ask for Holy Spirit power and authority. Begin asking for Holy Spirit power and authority. Lean into your quiet times. Be, a some, be someone who is who's nurturing that friendship with God so much so that he trusts you and he releases more and more authority to you. Some of you in this room are, are meant to be power bearers of the Spirit of God. And he's drawing you, he's calling you, and you, you, can, you even know that right now, that he's calling you to spend time with him because he longs to gift you. He longs to release to you more authority so that the impossible situations in our world can be made possible by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. That sickness could be healed. That the impossible situation, political situations, racial situations, and you, you keep going on and on and look at all the things. It's easy to know what's wrong in our culture, but what we need are the power bearers. And I believe God is tapping some of you on the shoulder and calling you into that. Pray for Holy Spirit power and authority. And that, that will restore the church. That will, that will, people will be, like that governor will say, I'm in. I just saw the super, can't explain this. And people, people will long to be a part of a church like that. Barnabas moved from Jerusalem, gets his friend Paul from Tarsus, and they moved to Antioch because there's something going on here. Ask for Holy Spirit, power, and authority. Here's another thing I would say. Share your story. You have a story of your encounter with God, how you came to Christ, your conversion story. Tell someone. There's power in your story. Here's the remarkable thing about your story. No one can argue with your story. It's your story. It's how Jesus captured your heart, whether you were seven years old or 30 or 72 or whatever age it was. Share your story and then let the Holy Spirit use your story to draw men and women, boys and girls to himself. When word and spirit Christians full of the power of the spirit and the authority of the Lord Jesus are sharing their stories, much like what happens in Antioch will happen among us, people that you never thought would believe begin believing. So much so that people want to travel and say, I got to check this out myself. Share your story. Last thing I would say is this, be ready and willing to go. 
We have this picture of the church. People are saying, this is not that. And we, we can be a people who are restorers in our city, restorers in our state, restorers in our nation. Part of God's global redemptive plan. But we gotta be ready and willing to go. And I just wanna tell you, God's tapping some of you on the, he will be tapping some of you on the shoulder and saying, I, I want you to be ready and willing to go. There's this church plant that's happening. I want you part of it. Be ready and willing to go. There's this international church plant happening. I want you to sell everything you have and I want you to be in on this. You may not know the names uh, Jerry and Joanne Woods, but Jerry and Joanne Woods, are, they're partners here at this church. They're actually, today, they'll be watching, a little bit later, watching the live stream, because uh, they do it every weekend, Sunday night in Iraq. How they got to Iraq was they felt God's tap on their shoulder. They're in their early 60s, feel the tap. I meet with them, and uh, they're gonna sell their business and work with the Life Center in Sulaymaniyya, Kurdistan. If you met them, if, you've, if you have met them before, and you looked at them, here, here's, what you would prob- here's what you'd probably say. They just look so normal. <laughs> like kind of like average people. Mm-hmm. They're, not the, they're not the kind of people that, that you'd walk up to, oh man, yeah, you can tell. They're missionaries. It's, oh man, goodness. They're just normal people. They were just doing life, and the tap on their shoulder came. And now they're like six-hour drive from Mosul, and they're like you know, 50 miles from the border of Iran in this little kind of little safe haven in Kurdistan, and they're touching the lives of Kurds and Iraqis, and people are coming to faith because they were ready and willing to go. God's gonna tap you on the shoulder. There's an adventure ahead of some of you We need to be ready and willing to go because when that happens, when we're part of a church, we see that happening. We see word and spirit Christians. We see God's power and authority being unleashed. We see people sharing their stories and lives being transformed and people are being, there's this movement taking place and and, and people are are going different places and we hear those stories. There's something, it's like God is at work. There's something going on here. And friends, I think that the degree to which that happens will be the degree to which people stop, stop saying, this is not that. They'll actually go, that makes sense. I've actually read my Bible. I see this in Acts 11, Acts 2, Acts 13. And God's call is on your life, our lives, to be restorers in his church. Now, let me just wrap up by saying this. As I was prepping this message this week, I was thinking of you. And I was thinking but how incredibly grateful I am to be able to pastor people like you because you're doing this. We're we're not perfect, but I'm so proud of you. I think in the right biblical ways. I'm so proud of who you're becoming. I'm so proud of you taking courageous steps to to lean into groups and learn about scripture and to begin learning about how to do life in the spirit and and the fear is shedding away about the person, the third person of the Trinity. And, and, 
and I'm seeing this flexibility and this willingness rising up, this hunger for God. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. And you, it feels like such a blessing to be able to be, be associated with the name of Salem Alliance Church. And I just, want to, I just want to encourage you, keep going. You're going in the right direction. You're doing the right things. You're loving on people. You're serving the city. And every little bit counts, whether it's public or private. And I just want to say to you, way to go, church. Way to go. Because there's this picture of who we're called to be. And people are longing for the church that, whether they know about it or not, they're longing for the church to be who they're called to be. And you're doing it. Keep on, keep pressing on, persevere. And as we do, I think people will stop asking why church. I think they'll be like Barnabas and say, hey, let's move. Bring some friends. Because I gotta be part of this. Because God is at work in our city. Let's pray to that end. So Lord, as we wrap up this series, thank you for the privilege of even being called the church. Lord, we didn't come to church, we came to worship because we are the church. So Lord, I ask and pray you would continue to do a deep work of your spirit in our lives. We would hunger and thirst to hear your words that we'd be a people who are spiritually discerning that would know the word of God and know that when we hear your voice, or that, again, your word is confirmed. Now, release faith, release power, release authority. Raise up the ones, the apostolic ones who will go. Raise up the ones who would say, I'm willing And we pray all this because we want to see your name made great. We want to see the name of Jesus be used in hushed tones of wonder. Wow. What a Savior. We ask and pray this now in your great name, your majestic name. name of Jesus, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.